Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to Trash and Treasures, where we watch the movies other people throw away. My name is Rye, and with me, as always, is Dorothy. Hi! It's October, the time of year where we do horror mo- movies just like the rest of the year, but like this time... Like, on purpose. <laughs> this time it's on theme, and everybody else is on the same page as us. As we mentioned on our anniversary episode, our theme this year is horny horror, which means... We are covering 1982's Cat People, directed by a previous guest of the program, metaphorically speaking. Paul the Canyons Schrader. If we look at his oeuvre overall, I think we can detect some some similarities with his other works, like 1986's Light of Day, which we covered previously. That, That is a bit of an older episode, a fascinatingly weird movie. Yeah, I don't know if I'd recommend the episode on it, because we were still a little shaky. I mean, that was during our first year. But it is a fascinating film, which is related to this one, as Dorothy has alluded, by the incest. So trigger warning. Yeah, uh, so we're going to talk a lot about incest on this episode, because that's the big Edgy. Yes, that is our edgy hook for the film. Animal abuse and animal death. Humanization. Sexual assault, sexual coercion. Violence to sex workers. Racism. I think that covers the basics and also general body horror. There probably are other things, but those are like the big ticket ones. And if it's that kind of horror movie, I think it's just a good idea to proceed with, to say proceed with caution. There's also, if for some reason you decide to watch this full frontal uh, throughout the film, it's an erotic horror movie, so... As opposed to the original, which was a neurotic horror movie. hey This episode isn't a full one-to-one comparison, but we did watch the old one because I had fond memories of it and I just really wanted to show it to Dorothy. So we may be touching back on that at some point, which also has content warnings for racism because 1940s, but is a much more restrained uh, psychological implicit horror film. So Cat People comes out of this sort of wave of 80s horror that is taking movies from the 40s and 50s and remaking them in the effects-heavy body horror era. So you had Village of the Damned. The Thing and the Fly are the big successful Mm -hmm. ones. Like, those are two movies where nobody remembers the 50s B-movies they're based on because the new ones added so much. You know, those were both movies that were made with this strong point of view. You know, the thing has this exploration of this bottled culture of toxic masculinity and how long it takes it to explode. And The Fly is this very poignant exploration of the fear of death and watching your own body decay. And I fucking love that movie. It's basically perfect. And, you know, so few pro-choice horror movies out there. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have Cat People, which... I think as opposed to having something to say that kind of built on this not meaningless but very different, more straightforward older horror movie, it stripped away a lot of the nuance of the original and added, I don't know, some incest. (laughs) And cats. And murders. Like, it just feels like it didn't understand what it wanted to say with this material. Yeah, and the weirdest thing about it is that it's, For, like, the first half of this movie, it's a totally different film, essentially. And then towards the second half, we suddenly start getting very closely replicated scenes from the original inserted in, in a very piecemeal way, so they don't fit anymore. 
if y'all ever saw the 2015 Amazing Spider-Man where two scripts clearly ate each other, it's the same kind of weird discombobulated experience. But one of the scripts was from 1942 and has already been filmed. It is very odd. And we are not an anti-remake people. I We've covered movies on here where we really liked the remake. Dark Water. Ghost. Mm-hmm. Like, a remake is a great thing if it has something new to say. Yeah, this is something that I've been um, considering in my scholarship lately, is sort of the cultural moment that a work comes out in. Mm -hmm. And I think for remakes to be good, there needs to be a cultural shift. Like, cross-cultural or transnational remakes, or a separation in time that allows them to say something different about a moment. And, you know, there are even within that the sort of different poles along the spectrum of this is basically the same script, but we have new underpinnings based on the sort of time and place that we've put it in. Either the audience is going to read it differently yeah, the or changed resonances or we've put a hat on it. And that's where 90% of Shakespeare adaptations live now, bless them. <laughs> or you've got the remake. I still want somebody to stage Romeo and Juliet in a mall food court. I would watch it and I would pay money to see it. I would love to see that. And then on the other hand, you've got remakes that are basically nothing to do with the original outside of having the same basic concept and then it went in a completely different direction, which is much dicier but can be useful if, depending on how unsuccessful the original was. Yeah, but this in this case, it's kind of both. You're right, it's neither fish nor fowl, as and it it's, were. And it's not trying to do anything different or more relevant, mm -hmm. even. It's just kind of trying to be nastier. It, because it's 1982. We gotta do nasty horror. Cronenberg is coming in big and American Werewolf in London was a hit. We gotta compete like with the, Joe Dante. We're coming out of the 70s. Joe Dante, The Howling. I, this definitely feels like it's chomping. The Howling specifically? Yeah. yeah. Which is, we've Which, also covered The Howling. A very good movie. Yeah, that we did that last October. Mm -hmm. But this has like those same sort of anxieties about female sexuality, but the same sort of incomprehension at the warring with it. Which is the biggest issue with this movie. So the original was written by DeWitt Bodine, who was a gay screenwriter. Wikipedia is not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> is it alleged or does it say close friends? It like mentions the people who he was like the longtime companion of and stuff, but also says some people have said he's gay, but I don't have a source for that. So thanks, Wikipedia. It's one of those articles where you go on down to the personal life section. Uh-huh, where it's like, okay. <laughs> it is known. So the original Cat People, while it does have this problem in that it centers its cat myth. Her backstory is that, like, her village in Romania, whilst being oppressed by the Mamluks, the Mamluks didn't make them evil. That's just, like, the historical context of why her villagers decided to be Satanists. For those I of... don't know enough about the history here to be sure of exactly how this is racist, but I assume it is. Right. <laughs> so for those of you who haven't done the, the quick Googling that I have, which means that this explanation will be brief and possibly incorrect on finer points, apologies. Uh, the Mamelukes were a force that were from the Ottoman Empire, Turkey in origin, and were generally headed up by former enslaved people and Muslims. Yeah. So, so they were like slave soldiers rather than citizen soldiers, right? Uh, no, they they were free people, but they had formerly been enslaved. Okay. Yeah, so that... And from what I also very briefly Googled, they became a pretty 
significant cultural force in a lot of cities and and countries, but they were like slightly separate culturally. The way she imparts the backstory is a little vague on like, did these people bring the terrible satanic influence to our poor village? See, I interpreted it as the Catholics got up to some shit. After the Mamelukes were driven away, St. John came and found that the village was full of Satanists. And he killed most of them. But some retreated into the mountains the and wickedest survived. <laughs> and most powerful. And they turn into panthers. And I googled where panthers live. And it, it ain't there. Not Romania, you say? <laughs> no. Like, I looked that up. I was like, what? why are they turning into panthers? Like, there are large cats in that region, but they're not panthers. <laughs> well, as you know, you can just, it, it's actually much easier to just paint other large cats. Oh my god, Annette O'Toole. We'll get to that. But, so that is the backstory given in the original film. That aside, the original does then use this, the fact that its main character is convinced that this will happen to her as if she is jealous or or has impure passions. On the surface, it is about her being afraid to bone her husband, because then she'll turn into a giant cat. But the subtext is, oh no, I might be gay. It is about queer repression in a big way. And compulsory heterosexuality and how damaging compulsory heterosexuality can be. Because she marries a guy that she likes all right. Yeah, they are good friends. They have a nice time together. They get along. He initially says that he's okay with having, like, a sexless marriage. Then he Isn't. immediately is not okay with that. So I feel like this could resonate, but also could be very painful for a lot of ace or aromantic viewers to watch. So he sends her to a therapist who is the worst. <laughs> is just the worst. But meanwhile, she's just fascinated by this panther at the zoo. And mm -hmm. she's talking about how... She's afraid she'll hurt someone if she gives in to her passions. And there is a love triangle insofar as the nice, straight-talking American gal as opposed to Who this- Who would, would totally be down to fuck this guy. Mm -hmm. And also is wholesome and American, unlike this European foreigner who you're marrying. <laughs> Again, the racist undertones. Xenophobia. Uh-huh. But the- Tension is on the again on the surface meant to be oh no he's she's going to steal my man, but there's also I'm angry see she's so pretty and subtext. so nice like how dare she and you're sharing my personal problems with her I now don't she want won't her think I'm perfect and I'm going to stalk her in my form that happens when I get horned up maybe yeah like and the queer subtext my God yeah. But for most of the film, it really is a psychological drama. It's like, not even psychological clear that this horror is something that happens or something she's just deeply afraid of because she's so shamed about her own sexuality. Yeah, so it's really trying to play with this idea of the therapist and the demons of the mind and... And therapeutic abuse, yeah. too. Because he turns out to be uh, the, Wrong. The, the real predator, <laughs> essentially. Because he dismisses... Mm -hmm. all of her anxieties because he's focused on normalizing and then tries to fix her by planting one but in the closest the 40s could come to a sexual assault scene right but like her therapist just tries to kiss her because he decides she should be horny right now mm -hmm. and it will prove to her that this is all in her mind i really like that movie it's on criterion so it's 
you know, if you have the Criterion channel, that's amazing. I think you can stream it. It's pretty cheap to rent elsewhere, but sadly it's not on any regular streaming services. It's also quite short because it was a B-film mm-hmm. in the classic sense. It was played with other films as like a lesser attraction. Yeah, it's a very crisp 70 minutes and very, very well shot for a B-film, honestly. Yeah, yeah it's quite a good film. But again, quite short. <laughs> So, obviously, if you were going to adapt it for now, you would need to expand it some. Right, that makes sense. And again, you know, as much as dicey a proposition as movies that are basically only the same in name and basic concept can be, I think this is not a bad candidate for it. Because you don't, the original is so tight in what it's doing that if you want to do it again, you should just go in a completely different direction and have it speak to a different anxiety. This one doesn't do that, though. Well... The 82 remake doesn't do that either. (laughs) No, not really. Uh, It does change the racism in that now the cat people come from what is implicitly darkest Africa, if the visuals are anything to go by. It it also reminded me of uh, the village where it's revealed that Pazuzu came from in the later Exorcist films. It's just a barrel full of yikes. Yeah, and it's implied that these panthers were worshipped as gods by the ignorant tribesmen. And it starts with a girl being sexually sacrificed to a cat. Mm-hmm. But our actual protagonist is Natasha Kinski, who was 21 when she made this movie. She was very young. She had uh, already been working for a while mm. in the industry and was known for being, I want to say willing, but for having done a lot of sexually explicit material and a lot of nudity so she may have been fine with it she may have been coerced into it because this is what's going to get you a career well um she's the daughter of klaus kinski Mm -hmm. and had worked with polanski and oh dear and this is one of the uncomfortable things about this movie because klaus kinski was a human monster i see so a lot of her sort of artistic pedigree started when she was a teenager and And she and her sister have spoken out about a lot of the trauma that they experienced as children. Well, that's horrifying and upsetting. Yeah. So I'm not going to say she didn't have agency to choose to do this film, but... But she has... There's a tension there. Right. Especially with the later knowledge that we have that she found a lot of the work she did traumatic for her. And she just also had actual family trauma. Like, her big uh, groundbreaking, career-breaking role was she played Tess in Tess, which was an adaptation of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. You mean that famous novel from Fifty Shades of Grey? (laughs) All the fucking things to replace Bella's Wuthering Heights obsession with. Right. So yeah, that's just a thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an uncomfortable subtext that we're all just- we're just gonna set it over there and now you know it. And her co-star is Malcolm McDowell. Who I can't believe hasn't been in a movie we've covered right. on here so before. Surely we've done something that had Malcolm McDowell in it. You would like, think, right? This is right? impossible. Malcolm McDowell will do whatever the fuck you tell him. We could probably get him on here. That's true, if we paid him money. And you know I, what? Bless him for that. Yeah. Like, but Malcolm McDowell is one of those weird flukes where he is definitely just a working actor who has managed to also be in some highly respected films. Like Caligula? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listeners, let us know if you want us to someday do Caligula, because I have argued for this multiple times. It's weird that no one has ever covered this incredibly important train wreck of a film. Oh yes, we would be the first to talk about the piss lesbians. He was also clearly cast because this is an actor 
who hangs dong. Although, do we we see his ass? Do we see his dong in this movie? A little bit. The that's, other, that's not a judgment. No, no. For a short period of time. The other salient thing about Malcolm McDowell being in this movie is, uh, I'm sorry, when was Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell born? He was born the year after the original film was made. 1943. I see. Which would have made him how old in 1982? 39. I see. And they're supposed to be, uh, I'm sorry, what? Siblings. Oh. Extremely close in age siblings, like within a couple years. Fascinating. Hollywood, y'all. This is made even weirder by the fact that Kinski is playing her character with this sort of extreme naivete that makes her seem even younger. I found myself questioning repeatedly how old she was supposed to be. In the script, you mean? Yeah. She's sort of established as an adult. Uh, at least, like, legally an adult. Yeah, and she, and she's, like, interested in doing advertising art, which is not a decision that, like, a 16-year-old would make. Mm-hmm. That's something you make after you've had time to think about what can I actually do with my artistic interests. But specifically the performance recalls either a very sheltered 18-year-old or, like, a 15, 16-year-old who was away from home for the first time. Yeah. So she has just come to the U.S. after growing up in... A church orphanage. And she's going to meet her brother for the first time, who right. lives just- and they've been apart since they were ten, when their parents killed themselves and, like, the circus they owned was dissolved. Because, oh yeah, t- their, their parents owned a circus. I guess. And there was a terrible, terrible fire. I'm not sure if, there, if they actually mentioned a fire or if it's just implied. I feel like there was a fire. <laughs> it feels like there was a terrible, terrible fire, right? Right. That feels correct. So her, her brother- lives just him and a housekeeper in new orleans because he is a man of the cloth you see and his housekeeper <sighs> y'all i don't um, understand anything about this character i would like to give ruby d a moment a tip this woman was in a raisin in the sun <laughs> she originated the role in the play in the, and was also in the film she was she doesn't do, do the, the right, right thing. thing a good movie that you should watch and she is doing just the most thankless role on earth this role should have been written out rather than be this offensive because there's no rehabilitating this role it's not even necessary no so her name is famale dorothy would you like to spell that for the listener they spell it on screen so i know that this is accurate Mm -hmm. she spells it out out loud f-e-m-a-l-e the joke is that someone read off her birth certificate which didn't have a name, but they were so ignorant that they thought her name was where the baby's sex was written. I just... So this character exists and she is a servant. She is weirdly devoted to the brother. There are implications of voodoo. We mentioned... of course. Uh Uh-huh. Dorothy mentioned that this takes place in New Orleans. It feels like a lost Anne Rice movie, right? Oh, very much so. I said that a little ways in. Is this feels Anne Ricey? Not just because New Orleans or because racism, but also the weird moist sexuality and yeah, very specifically how it's dealing with how she writes heterosexual relationships in particular. Yeah, with this. On the one hand, it should be interesting repressed female sexuality but also but also that expresses itself solely through like naivete 
and combativeness with other women. And also men are just predators and you have to live with that, which is very VC Andrews. McMalcolm McDowell, I'm going to look up their character names because otherwise we will go back we'll to calling, be calling him Malcolm. Irina and Paul. Paul. <laughs> Speaking of Anne Rice. And meanwhile, also, the original workers are being killed. Yeah, meanwhile, Paul is going out every night to this tormented man of the cloth and going to, you know, a massage parlor or picking women up. And eating them. Which we don't know for a while, but that is, in fact, what is happening. I mean, it's pretty clear pretty fast. Yeah. This does not really play with the psychological horror aspect. So one of the first attacks we see after she has showed up at his house and he's weirdly sniffy with her and everything because he's just so glad to see his little sister again. It's very weird that they're about the same age and he knows about this and she doesn't. Surely it would make more sense to indoctrinate her with this horrible thing from an early age. Well, their parents committed suicide when he was 10. She could have been like maybe three or four. Maybe. And I guess the nuns don't know this terrible secret. Right. It's clearly not a youthful cult. It's not very effective. In, <laughs> well, I think in they're the actions. last one. The last of their kind. Hence the problem. Right. Meanwhile, at the same time that this is happening, the original plot is also kind of vaguely happening because Irina wanders through a zoo and meets the average dude whose name is Oliver Yates. In this version. In this version. Because they couldn't go with the original name. The character's name in the original movie was Oliver Reed, which I looked it up. It's just a random ass coincidence. It's just funny. Oliver and Alice are now work at the zoo because- Alice is played by Annette O'Toole, who- Smallville fans. Saying some weird shit about how apparently they, they just painted other big cats to be leopards. Yeah, she claimed in an interview at some point that- they didn't actually use panthers because they're too hard to handle. Instead, they painted a leopard black. Which has to be bullshit. Like, that has to be a lie. There's absolutely... I can't... I cannot imagine ever that it would be easier to dye an entire cat black than to just use a different cat. Especially when the cat doesn't have... The cat does a couple of leaps. which And uh... mostly paces around in... This manifestly too small enclosure. Oh god, we have to talk about the conditions because it's truly, truly the most upsetting part of this film. Yeah. Much more so than any of the honestly terrible like politics of the script. I watched all the way through the credits where you would normally expect to see the no animals were harmed in the making of this film. American spiel. Humane badge. Um, now this is a little bit... This is a little bit tricky... That society has existed since the 40s. It was created after all those horses were killed during the filming of Ben-Hur. They technically are supposed to have a searchable database, but it was kind of on the fritz when I was doing my research for this film. So the movie did not come up in their search history, but I don't know if that's because it wasn't in there or because there was some kind of issue with the website and the storage of the data. Going just by the looks of the film, I'm going to say that it's because it wasn't overseen. The only thing at the at the end of the credits, which truly just made things even more disturbing, is the notice that animals in natural habitats were filmed on location at the Audubon Zoological Garden of New Orleans, and all caged exhibits were filmed 
at Universal Studios. These cages are upsettingly small, y'all. And they have absolutely no enrichment or anything. No, they're just bare concrete. Yeah, they're these just bare brick enclosures with like a wooden bench halfway up the wall and they're the same for every animal we see in them. I mean, it looks just exactly like the one from the 40s. Yeah. And honestly, the one from the 40s was bigger. Yeah, you're right. The the panther had like an entire corner and it was still too small to keep a wild animal in, but it was maybe two or three times the size. Yeah. So this was really deeply uncomfortable to watch just for animal reasons. Um, there's also scenes where clearly an animal is sedated, but we're pretending it's dead. Mm-hmm. And a couple of scenes where, you know, whether or not these are real panthers or leopards that we painted black, where they look genuinely upset and frightened to get a reaction out of them. Like, these do not look like trained cats. They look like they were aggravated on the set. Yeah, they look like we got a hold of some cats to film. They aren't used in any of the dangerous stunts. There are some Rufus-level puppets. Yeah. (laughs) But I cannot say with confidence that they were treated safely. Yeah. And I'm not somebody who's sensitive or attuned to noticing these things. It has to be pretty egregious for that for, for me to start actively paying attention, not because it's not important, but because I just, I naturally assume that people are safe with animals on set now because we've got, we've got that society for it. Yeah, no, uh, that may, again, be the biggest hurdle to watching this film. Yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable. While Paul is out murdering sex workers every night. In a scene that, by the no, can we talk about the first, the first sex worker yeah. death? Yeah. But she doesn't die, remember? Oh, that's, that's right. That's off the whole plot, is she doesn't die. So basically, when he's super horned up, he turns into a cat. And he keeps going to these sex workers, I guess, because and he's... And praying that he will master his impulses. Mm-hmm. He's so tormented. And then killing them. She falls down the stairs, and then after she lands... Her boobs pop out. Uh-huh. Like, her bra just... <laughs> ceases to exist during the fall down the stairs. No, no, she lands with the bra on, and then then as though though a a mechanism has delayed function. (laughs) So God realized there weren't enough titties in this movie. Like, we need to make sure that you know this is a titty movie within the first ten minutes. But she survives, which is a problem, because now the hotel has a panther in a bedroom. Which which is is how Oliver gets roped into this. Making our A and B plot together. You know, Irina is wondering about this because what? A panther existing? And my brother? Not around for some reason? She does not put these two threads together. Yeah, Famala is like, well, he just must be out doing ministry stuff instead of taking you around the city like he promised. And so she spends a lot of time hanging around the zoo and kind of sort of- the leopard. With a very nice, you know, it's a nice sketch. It would be a good- (laughs) It has that feel of the old-timey sailor tattoo. It follows kind of loosely early on the original in that she starts dating this guy who has a female co-worker. Except that in this version, they really downplay um, that part of the love triangle. Yeah, there's not really much attraction between him and Alice at any point. No, they have like a friendly camaraderie. And then like in act three, she's like, I've always loved you, by the way. And they're like, four or four evidence not found. Yeah. Yeah, Annette O'Toole's Alice is clearly (laughs) bisexual and hungry for deets about her new friend's sex life. 
I really like the scene where, where she takes Irina out for drinks. Where she just pulls of the room. So how is your sex life? And it's adorable. And then that subtext doesn't go anywhere because this is a very not queer movie. Yeah. It's supplanted that queer longing and, and terror with what the old film was on the surface, which is this fear of specifically heterosexual female sexuality. And not her fear of her own sexuality, because she doesn't seem aware of her own sexuality, almost. Yeah, she never actually seems aroused, even in the scenes where she's supposed to be, like, unhinged by lust. Which is even weirder, because obsession with panthers aside, I'm not sure she's aware of the whole cat thing like in i'm not sure this version of irena knows about the legends no she doesn't she doesn't have any idea until okay so basically the thing is that it's fruits basket it really so paul keeps trying to fuck these random women but every time he gets horny he turns into a cat and he can't turn back into a person until he murders a human so that's how he gets out of the zoo as he eventually manages to kill this one zoo worker played by ed begley jr in an honestly hilarious scene where he rips off this uh, rubber arm and flings it around even more impressive because he tacks his arm like below the elbow but it comes off at the the shoulder (laughs) and it's amazing yeah it's some hilarious gore effect the gore effects and transformation sequences for this movie by the way not great not good clearly chomping like dorothy said the haunting and Definitely also American Werewolf, but... The Howling. Now there's a movie about anxiety. And so then he manages to escape from the zoo mm-hmm. and come back home. And it's like, hey, so what I miss? I've just been working so hard at my priest duties. But then he starts trying to fuck his sister. And why would he do that? Because, you see, quote, we are an incestuous race. Y'all, it's not quite a dream ballet. But it is, in fact, where he comes to her in dreams and informs her that this is their great heritage and they can only have sex with one another. That's the only way they can not turn into cats. And apparently their parents also had a flowers in the attic situation going on and they just never knew. Until presumably consumed with guilt, they killed themselves. And they can't even marry their cousins because they're the last of their kind. She's not into this. Reasonably. Very reasonably. Um, Then it turns out that he has a sex dungeon in the basement full of dead sex workers and the cops catch him and then he dies. There's like other things that happen. But that's the thrust of it. And I will say I do find the other scene that he has with with the woman that he picks up at the cemetery kind of interesting. Like Like the scene where he seems most like a character? Yeah. It's where they are at least trying to do something. It's where I feel like Verhoeven actually gets the sexual anxiety thing. Traitor. I'm sorry, Paul Verhoeven. It is weird that he named the character after himself. Right? It says some things. Because I really don't think that Paul Schrader gets Irina at all, or even really cares about her, except as a vector for male desire. But I think he gets his own namesake. The scene where he really wants to have sex with this woman and make an earnest emotional connection with her and malcolm mcdowell is honest to god selling it it's a nude scene and he's like very vulnerable in Mm -hmm. his nudity and it's a little bit hacky awkward but and also to cover up the dong but (laughs) she like leans over to give him oral and he's like 
cradling her in his lap. And it's this very genuinely intimate looking shot that the rest of the movie completely lacks any of this depth. (laughs) And obviously this woman does not get any dignity after this. Oh, no. She's just dead now. She's just, she's also this very warm human connection. Like, it's a small scene. I really want to look up her name now because even though it's a small role, she really does it. I, uh, Lynn Lowry, I think, is is her name. I think so. Yeah, it's quite a good scene. Both the performers in it are really good and moving and it's almost a glimpse into what this movie could have been, what the movie almost wanted to be. I don't think it's a bad idea to shift into this, you know, a story about fears of emotional intimacy that men often face because they are expected to be these powerful sexual predators. And honestly, I think a much better movie could have been made if it had been about this guy who feels damned to kill all these women that he's with when all he really wants to do is be close and affectionate with them. Like, that's that's interesting. But like, ultimately, that's not what this movie's doing either. And it does feel very weird specifically because it has those vestiges of the original. So it feels weird when it shifts most of the narrative weight onto the torment this man is feeling emotionally as he assaults and murders all these women and feels entitled to his sister's body. Yeah, because he's a, as much as McDowell is trying to give it nuance, because that's kind of what he's good at is playing these terrible characters and giving you that seed of sympathy. He's a monster. Like, Paul on paper is a completely irredeemable character. Yeah. He dies. Oliver autopsies the cat body they get, and it dissolves. (laughs) That is the most Rufus-y. That is peak Rufus, that scene. So that scene is clearly partly filmed with an anesthetized cat, and they only got one chance to do it, you can tell, because you can see its toe beams flexing, and then it shifts to this puppet for him to cut open. Which then hisses gas and turns into a goopy skeleton because do you see yeah it just melts it's very funny in execution you can see what the idea was but a human hand pops out of the torso (laughs) but then it melts leaving no trace oh so now the problem is number one irena can never fuck anybody because fruits basket if anyone hugs her she will turn into a cat but also she and oliver i guess want to fuck I guess, again. They're like living in the same house together. He, They were flirty initially and he got her a job, but there's not a very strong There's not really attraction. a chemistry there, no. Yeah, William Hurt is just kind of there as Oliver. He's fine, but he seems honestly too much like the original where he is this very safely approachable guy that you would want as your beard marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and then she suddenly and randomly starts stalking Alice. Because now we're back in the original for some reason. Even though she and Alice have had, honestly, the much more chemistry-laden scenes together. And then Alice is gone for half the movie while the Paul stuff is happening. Like, she just drops out of the second act entirely. I need to stress that Paul, as a character, did not exist. No. In the original. This is not like a character they expanded the role of. That's nothing. (laughs) No. The original had four characters. And I guess Paul is a replacement for the therapist. In that he is a predator to Irina, but it's not really the same at all. Special mention must be made, though, of the naked prowling scene with the dick snake. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, I refuse to allow this to be forgotten. So Irina gets horny and does a 
an over-the-nightgown masturbation sequence, uh, a la, <laughs> but I'm a cheerleader. And then she wanders out naked into, into the fucking swamps of Louisiana. <laughs> naked. Full bush. Enjoy your fucking malaria, or West uh, Nile virus, or snake bite, or alligators. And we know there's a snake because we are treated to one in her cat vision. <laughs> and the cat vision is purply pink, so the snake looks like a wandering dick. The snake turns colors to become more dick-like as she stares at it. <laughs> it is the moment at which the movie goes full Garth Marenghi. That's the thing about this fucking movie. Like, you've hit the nail on the head. It's that Schrader looked at the original and said, you know what? I know authors who use subtext and they're cowards. It's very frustrating how concrete everything is. Like, we know from the start that the transformations into cats are real. It's not a symptom of her anxiety. No, at no point are we ever in doubt that a human being will turn into a big cat. Thank you, David Bowie, for the song, though. Oh. And... Giorgio Moroder did the music for it, which is honestly depressing because they don't let him go off the chain nearly as often as he should. Tell people what they would know this man from. Um, so if you've ever seen Flashdance or that one version of Metropolis that ha was rescored with an 80s score, the colorful restoration, Giorgio Moroder scored those. And I'm a big fan of his work and he's not getting enough to do here. No, the, the music is pretty restrained. And it frustrates me because my favorite thing about Moroder is how he can get a really warm, lush sound out of synthesizers. So, yeah. <laughs> so she turns into a cat and there is a chase across a bridge. Like, yeah. She fucks Oliver and then turns into a cat and does not eat him because she loves him, I guess. I guess. She, she stalks Alice in literally just reshot scenes from the original, but with titties added. That That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the only difference. And it makes no sense at all wise. because Irina is not even aware that they kind of that allegedly Alice is in love with Oliver there is no tension of you've been telling your co-worker my secrets from our marriage they, there's a manhunt or rather a panther hunt she runs across a bridge kills a dude so that she can tell Oliver that she wants him to fuck her through a window and let her turn into a dangerous panther again and then they don't euthanize the panther i guess and then the panther just sits in the horrible tiny cage. small cage and that's how the movie ends also a bonus points for dickery in that when she's in her final most monstrous state before she begs oliver to fuck her one last time so that she can be with the other cats she's got they lower the pitch of her voice so that she sounds androgynous because mm -hmm. she's also got a very short pixie cut. So bonus coded transphobia right at the well, end. And then we get this beautiful David Bowie song. Which, again, bringing up Anne Rice, I'm sorry, it's the last time, would honestly be much funnier as the end theme to an interview with the vampire movie. It is called Theme from Cat People, but the refrain is that you're putting out fire with gasoline because, you know, the, the power of the lust is impossible to quench. But like... But like Louie, though, it's a much better song for Louie. But you couldn't use that for the interview film because that's Lestat's film. <laughs> yep. And it just kind of ends on a whole big meh. Paul Schrader's movies are not curious, shall I say generously, about female sexuality. We made the decision, despite buying it on the cheap, that we aren't going to cover the canyons uh, on our podcast because 
one of the stars is a rapist. Uh, but that is another film that has a very traumatized leading actress and uh, seems and to like have traumatized her further. Yeah, it has this sex-driven plot. Honestly, that article that came out a few years about the filming of The Canyons... I will link that uh, in the show notes yeah, for this. Honestly, like, if you actually read it, it's much more disturbing than I think the writer of that article realizes. Right, because it is about Lindsay Lohan's... It's about Lindsay Lohan, train wreck. Mm-hmm. But there's some stuff shit. happening there. And I think, I not to level actionable accusations, but... actionable accusations, but I feel like the women in his movies don't tend to do well from the canyons article i know that he's extremely uncompromising about consent as in if you've consented to do something on screen with your body he's going to hold you to that i enjoyed watching this movie like i had a fun time watching cat people even though it's not a good movie and it doesn't know what it wants to do and the effects aren't very good and i don't dislike any of the actors but they're not doing their best jobs here yeah but it is not a fine film like the original b film was Mm -hmm. and and it is also fucking weird how it ties into his career Mm -hmm. yeah it is incredibly compromised i think in the years since if you have this layered on knowledge of the people involved. I do think incest is a theme that Schrader was trying to play with a lot at this point in his career. About four years later, he did what ended up as a made-for-TV movie called Light of Day, which we mentioned before. This is something that I've talked about before, but the only way that movie makes any sense is on the assumption that there was an incest subplot that was cut. It It is is totally nonsensical as it exists. Truly, truly bizarre, that movie. I think you can watch it for free on YouTube because it was never put on DVD in the United States. If you have any kind of uh, difficulties hearing, though... Forget about it. There's no there's no kind of captioning of any kind. And it's fuzzy as hell, so you're also going to have trouble seeing it. <laughs> but it's this movie that I'm fascinated by because you've got Joan Jett and Michael J. Fox playing these siblings in this plot. That makes no fucking sense. Right, because it is about this tension over this child that they both feel responsible for. And he's, you know, the one who is the responsible parent working hard to take care of the kid. And she is trying to get away from everything that this kid represents by chasing these rock dreams that are clearly never going to come to fruition. Yeah, and it's trying to say something about Americana, and but the ending is weirdly Christian-themed. Right, because clearly he, Michael J. Fox, should be the father of this child, but it does a weird left swerve into she was molested by a priest. But also forgiveness is the most important thing. It is a fascinating movie, and honestly, y'all, if you ever listen to it, you should get at us, because we need to know we're not the only ones who've seen it. (laughs) Yeah, it's the kind of movie where it's like, have you seen this shit? Mm -hmm. And nobody has. And uh, let's say there's a reason that Joan Jett was not known for her acting career. But we love her. We love her. She does a musical scene in it, and it is very good. Yeah, she does have a very magnetic performer's personality, but it does not translate to acting. She's not a triple threat. She is not David Bowie. (laughs) But yeah, that theme. Because he was so fascinated with... He's known for Taxi Driver. Mm -hmm. This perversion of Americana, American masculinity, the American family clearly fascinated him. And I think that doing stories about incest 
kind of leads into that, but I don't think he knows what the fuck he's saying about it. He's just kind of generally interested in it. Well, and honestly, the weakness in all of his works I've seen is that he likes to have prominent roles for women, but they're thinly written because he's not very good at actually giving them motivations or understanding their motivations. Like in this movie, the only reason he could think of for a woman to not want to fuck was because that's incest and gross. Like he couldn't really process through any internal reasons. And so she was just kind of like, I don't know. I just never fucked before. No, no, just didn't get to it, which is fine. Right. But like maybe interrogate that a little more in your movie. That's specifically about people's desire to have sex or not. Right. And to present it as, I guess, she doesn't feel the pressure to have sex in the same way Paul does. Okay, if you're doing that, you need to do that because you also have given her a backstory where she was, like, molested by her foster parent. And if you're going to do that, you can't also be like, well, and she's never been pressured to have sex Mm because I've got news. I feel like this is maybe the most frustrating kind of movie that we do on this show where there's a lot of interesting things to talk about, but how interesting is the end product you know i think the end product is interesting but it's not necessarily good right it's a little more camp than some of the movies we talk about where it's ah this is so close to being a good thing this is miles from being a good this is definitely a mess but you know what i'm glad i watched it Uh uh-huh yeah and it's interesting to watch with the original side by side and see just sort of how those stitches in the script happen. Because every time one of the original scenes crops up, it feels like it teleported in from another movie. It's extremely obvious whenever you get to one of the scenes that doesn't fit with something written by the guy, by the writer of Taxi Driver. Right. All of a sudden, a psychological horror scene is here in our hilarious erotica body horror movie. Even the body horror isn't t- tied well into... It's sexual anxiety. Cronenberg, yeah. this is not. Yeah, no, there, it's it's not vaginal. It's not phallic. Any scene where there's openings in flesh and fur, you should be able to figure out how to make that sexual body horror. I'm not saying it always is, but there should be a way to do it. Weak. Weak on every front, The cat Schrader. transformations are pretty funny, though, because your face just rips open and a cat head pops out. It's amazing. <laughs> As camp, there is something to this movie. (laughs) As an actual piece of film, my god, it fails every time. (laughs) So I guess what we're saying is do watch the original B-movie and then maybe get high and watch this movie. (laughs) Yeah, maybe watch this if you think it sounds like a fun watch, but don't expect it to be, like, amazing. That about wraps us up for this one. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. If you liked this, you can find more of our stuff on SoundCloud by looking for Trash and Treasures or searching Trash and Treasures on just about any podcatcher of your choosing. If it's not on the one that you use, let us know. We'll try to fix that. Uh, We really appreciate ratings or reviews because it helps folks to find us. Or if you would like to email us, we are at trashtreasurespod at gmail.com. We love to get mail. Or you can get hold of us on social media. We are on Tumblr at trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com or we're on Twitter at TrashPod. Uh, shout out to a mutual of mine, at Nate Ming, who was really glad that we covered Romeo Must Die. I'm also glad we covered Romeo Must Die. There's a movie that, that, that y'all would probably one. enjoy watching. <laughs> it was that a good was time. a good intervention with an existing... Mm-hmm. 
a good movie that had a new thing to say based on its additional plot threads and new context. Uh-huh. Yay. <laughs> and next time, our last October movie, because, you know, every two weeks, is the actual runner-up from our Listener Choice episode. And a movie that I have been looking for an excuse to watch for years. Uh, we are going to watch Ken Russell's out-of-print, extremely contentious film, The Devils. You just had to make it all the way to Catholic exploitation by the end of this month. Fuck yes, I did. I love Catholic exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait, listeners. And until next time, take care of yourselves. Bye, y'all. <laughs>